0: I felt like um, last week, so last week I shared a little bit on how God, I shared for like five, ten minutes and then we just worshipped because, you know, I I used the analogy of if you have your in-laws coming over for a couple of days, you can make room in your house and present it in a certain way and you can live a certain way for a couple of days and you can get through, you know? (laughs) You can make it through, or friends, you know, whoever it is, you can just do that. Whereas, if you have someone come and live in your home for a year, the way that you—it's like everything is on display, you know. And the way that I think so often we've done church is that the the latter rather than the you know the former. It's like we we do church in a way that's like we can do things for a couple of hours, and we can put we can put the furniture away, and we can do that, and then Jesus can come and visit us. Uh, 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, or maybe we have a Holy Spirit night during the week or whatever, and it's like, actually, how do we create a place where Jesus can come and dwell and inhabit the praises of his people? How do we actually uh, go on this journey of being led by the Spirit of God? You know, we're spiritual beings having an earthly experience, not the other way around. We're not earthly beings having spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having an earthly experience. Paul put it this way, he said, I'm a citizen of heaven. <laughs> and it's like we're citizens of heaven and we're led by the Spirit of God. And in the in the Western world, um, I remember someone saying to me, you know, if you went to Indonesia and you uh, offered someone in Indonesia a fruit, and you said, Will you eat what's like a what's a, a fruit in Indonesia, Danny? Durian. Durian. You offered someone durian from the west. They would say, "Do I like it? What does it taste like? Um, what kind of texture is it? You know, what's it going to feel like in my mouth?" They'd want to get all the facts down before they tried it, right? We've seen this with our kids. You know, anyone that has kids, like, oh, that doesn't look good. I'm not going to eat that. As opposed to in Eastern culture and in, in often like Indonesia and places like that, they'll just go hum. Oh, that doesn't taste good, or that tastes delicious. I'm going to get me some more of that. Right? And the difference is the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Corinthians says, turn your head towards the Lord, and then the veil is removed. Not the other way around. Do you get it? It's not like, will I like this? What does this look like? And then we respond. It's, we turn our affection towards the Lord, and then the then the veil is removed. It's taste, and then we see that God is good. I was in worship. I had this picture. Who's seen Captain Hook? Who's seen, yeah, Captain the old Captain Hook, Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams, and um, and and you know the picture where they they he starts to imagine food, and they do the pretend food fight. Has everyone not anyone not seen Captain Hawk? It's like one of the best films of all time, and um, and just Hook. It's Hook, isn't it? It's just called Hawk, Yeah. Oh, Hawk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and and he's imagining food, and he begins to imagine, and then this royal banquet. Um, starts to appear, and I felt like that's what the Lord is, you know, faith actualizes what it realizes, Bill Johnson says that, faith actualizes what it realizes, so faith brings into reality what it cannot see, it cannot, you can't feel it, you can't see it, but it brings it into a reality, and I feel like there's a banquet before us, as obviously, I know, Lamb God He's in us he leave, never leaves us and he's, you know we've been given everything we need for life and godliness like I know those things but we're not we, if we were honest with ourselves we'd say we're not walking in the fullness maybe in our own personal life or whatever or that we've seen or tasted of not in a condemning way but in an invitational way that there's more there's more available in, in what we can currently see amen Yeah. So, if you've got your Bibles, um, turn to Exodus 33. We're going to go to three passages of Scripture, or maybe four. Exodus 33. And I, I just feel like there's an invitation, a banquet there for us to walk in. And I want to kind of give some context, a little bit of last week, of why we're going after this and what what this means for us and um you know when the outpouring of this sorry i'll backtrack when the tower of babel happened what did they do they scattered and they god confused their language when the outpouring of the spirit happened everyone heard them in one accord but they were all speaking in different languages He restored it and made it unified. And I want to provoke us this morning that if we're going to see a move of God that so many of us have been going after, because I don't want a visitation culture, I want a habitation culture. I want him to, and not just here, I'm not just, like, we have to get out of the mindset of Sunday morning. This is a part of it, but it's not the only thing. I want it to be in our homes in our families, in our marriages, in our wedding, in our in our in our wedding bed, in our kids, everything that it covers all areas of in business. That the presence of God would be with us and in us and and be a habitation of everywhere that we go because of we've made room for that. We've made we've uh, we've gone on a journey with God and. You know, I would say that I was talking to a friend of mine, um, actually Mark Greenwood, who runs the academy up in Brisbane uh, last weekend, and I was—we were just talking about this very thing, and we were saying, you know, you can have good theology, but it doesn't necessarily—it doesn't necessarily mean you have a relationship with God. Um, I think Mo, I think the Israel says they were acquainted with his acts. But Moses knew his ways, right? How many like it? Kind of boggles me that the Pharisees saw blind eyes opening and they still didn't believe. You know, and we we're in a culture here where we believe in the miraculous. We don't apologise for it, and we go after things, and we believe for healing, and we believe for God to do miracles, signs, and wonders because that's what He told us to do. But do you know, I've seen people, I was actually, it it kind of provoked me this weekend because I saw someone who's not walking with the Lord. They walked into one of our youth services a few years ago with a broken leg and walked out completely healed. And they're not walking with God. And I was like, man, how does that happen? They're not acquainted with his ways. They saw his axe from a distance because you can see, oh, wow, that's incredible. I mean, we've prayed for people in, in shopping centres. I remember praying for this South African lady. She was in a wheelchair. She got up out of a wheelchair, took her brace off her leg and just kept walking. She just kept walking. This is about eight years ago. She just took her brace off and I'm like, do you want to come back and like understand? "What? No, I'm good now. Thanks. Just kept walking. I'm like... What even that blows my mind. I mean, if I'm in a wheelchair and someone prays for me and I get up, I want to know who did that, who you are, what happened, who was it, all those things. But no, and I, there's I want to propose that when we don't have a intimate relationship with God personally and corporately, we become like the Israelites of old with Moses, where they're like, just send the guy up on the mountain. We stay down here because it looks a little bit scary. So let's read it, because I think this is one of the darkest days, but also we can learn from it. Um, We can learn something from it. When Moses went up to the mountain, uh, chapter 33 of Exodus, and we'll go, um, we'll just start at verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. It's mind-boggling. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again in the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, young, uh, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I'll, I'll paraphrase the next part because it's quite long, but the next part is he goes up on the mountain uh, and he takes the tablets again with him for the, you know, For the second time and the first time he takes the tablets up he you know god writes he takes two tablets and just a little side note this is just my theology if you just let me have this one for a second (laughs) moses takes two tablets and says he writes on both sides we've often portrayed it as he writes the laws one to you know one to ten on one and one to ten on the other well he actually didn't he wrote one to five on one side and then six to ten on the other side and then one to ten on, one to five on one side, and then six to ten on the other. And in those days, what would happen is you would take, uh, if you made a covenant with someone, if I made a covenant with Dave, and Dave was, was the person I was in covenant with, I would give one tablet to him, and I would take one tablet back to my God, and he would take one tablet back to his, his God, and we were in covenant relationship together, and we had the same covenant, the Ten Commandments, on one tablet as he did on the, on the other tablet. Does that make sense? But you can't give one tablet to God. He's God. So Moses takes both. So he has one to ten and one to ten. So he has two identical replicas of the same tablet, right? That's the tablet uh, that he puts in the Ark of the Covenant, those tablets, the Ten Commandments. He puts that in the Ark of the Covenant. But he comes down from the mountain, and what happens? Aaron's taken gold and rings and jewellery, and they've made a golden calf, and there's crazy sexual stuff going on in the camp and then and and God's like man stuff this let's kill them all right <laughs> uh, sorry God's did I say Moses God says that right and then and Moses is like no 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 hold on they're your people that who you made a covenant with with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob right he pleads to another covenant that he made right are you following and then he says, Moses, and God's like, okay, well, well, I'll let him live, and then you guys just go on. And Moses is like, No, I'm not leaving unless you're coming with us. Like he makes, and for me, when I, I've been reading this for the last few months, and I'm like, Man, the relational element of God in this moment is profound. That God is so interested, He's like. I' found one man who I'm willing to make a new country with, but he's stood in the gap for Israel, and I will, do, I will make a covenant with him, and I'm interested in this relationship, and he, basically, he's so interested in relationship with people. he's not interested in the rules and the regulations. he's interested in relationship. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. But Joshua stays in the tent, says Joshua remained. And we know who enters the promised land. Turn with me to Joshua 3. I will tie this together, I promise. And if I don't, it's ask the Lord. Uh, verse 11, Joshua 3. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each uh, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord... Where did they carry the Ark? On the shoulders. The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, from flowing and the water's coming down from above shall stand in one heap so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people and as soon as the, as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water now the jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest the water's coming down from above now listen to this This is the bit I want you to catch. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. That's not a coincidence that that town is called Adam. The city that is beside Zarethan and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off and the people (coughs) passed over opposite Jericho. And Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. I think our movies have done the injustice of when they pass, you know, the waters rise up and it's that big wave, you know, when you pass through the Jordan and it's that wave that sort of hovers there and just stays there and then people walk through, right? This is saying the waters rose up and actually in different translations it kind of, indicates that the waters went back up to Adam. They went upstream. There was over a million people in Israel. It wasn't like a little tunnel. It was like a massive body of water that would have just vanished. right? And I believe this is significant because the waters went back up to Adam because when you and I got in the baptismal tank and got born again, we went back up, our lineage went back to Adam and started with Jesus. Right? This is significant because the priests, only a handful of priests, would carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders And then people would walk through. And in the outpouring of Acts 2, he's given us another invitation. Acts 2 is identical, almost to Mount Sinai with Moses going up. It's an invitation to um, the priesthood of all believers, not just a handful of one or two or three. It's an invitation for the priesthood of all believers to carry God on their shoulders for the testimony of the Ark of the Covenant to rest upon us. And if we don't understand that we're sons and daughters of God, we won't approach the throne room boldly because we'll do what if I can be if I can just if, if I can just do it this morning, we'll do what Aaron did and we'll create really good church services out of gold and silver and flashy lights and cameras and all that jargon and not actually have a face-to-face encounter like Moses did with a friend and we'll learn to actually commune with God and be led by his spirit. Because we're not led by his acts, we're led by his ways and then his acts follow. And if we know his ways, his, his acts won't deter us and won't, when they don't happen or when they do happen because we know his ways. Like Naomi said, oh my God's good and I just trust him. He's got this. And even if it doesn't look like it was supposed to look, it won't deter us because we'll know his ways. We've had encounters with him face to face. I don't believe Exodus 33 was a moment of... I think Israel missed a moment and they had to wait another, however many hundreds of years before that moment came again, which happens in Acts 2. Uh, some theologians say that when the lightning was coming on Mount Sinai, it was uh, they described it as like tongues of fire. So your lineage, if I can now jump into the new covenant, your lineage now is you've been washed clean up to Adam and you're now a son or a daughter of God and we're going to go to two more verses, Romans 8 and John 3. Actually, we'll just jump jump to John 3 with me real quick. John 3, Jesus, the famous verse of, of Nicodemus. Oh, I just love it. Truly, I say to you, verse, verse 3, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born again when he's old, enter a second time into his womb? Truly, truly. Jesus answered, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can not enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I just want to go down to verse um, 12. If you... If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Just pause there. What does he use? He uses wind as an analogy to illustrate the Spirit of God, and he uses birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Are you with me? And then he says, How do you not understand if I have told you earthly things? What's he saying? I've told you earthly principles which have a heavenly perspective, wind and birth. But then he says, what does he say? He says, how will you not understand if I tell you heavenly things? What's he saying? There are things I want to tell you that are heavenly, that have no earthly paradigm. Walking on water is not an earthly paradigm, right? Right? Healing people, it's not an earthly paradigm. His ways, in our world, the first of first. In his world, the first, the last. The last of first. In his world, it's the servant of all that's the greatest. In his world, we seek his face. We turn towards him. The veil is removed and then things start to happen. It's seek first his kingdom. And I love the songs we sang this morning. You know, Jesus, you're my everything. It's 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 like yes, the gospel's deep and profound, but it's very simple. If you put Jesus first in the center of your life, and you know people say Liam, it's first God, then it's marriage, then it's church, then it's you know um, friendships, and then it's work, and they have like this list, and I just don't agree with that. It's first God, and everything else falls into place. It's, it's like, first God, and then my marriage is good. And then it's first God, and then work's good. First God, and then friendship's good. First God, and then this happens. It's not, it's not this weird order. It's like I seek his face first, and then things... Now, I believe in health, and I believe in doing things well. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, often we put God in this little box again and compartmentalize him, as opposed to he's in everything in our lives. And then we, there's the habitation of his presence that comes. Yeah. Amen? So here Jesus makes this proclamation. He says, I want to tell you heavenly things which have no earthly paradigm. I want to tell you things that you've not even thought of, imagined, dreamt. His world is... There's, there's a banquet available for us. And... I just, if I could, this is probably just, it, this is for us as a church. This is how relational he is, like Moses. Um, this is Liam's personal opinion, okay? <laughs> this is my personal opinion. If you don't agree with it, lisa at hotmail.com. No, no, just kidding. Um, I believe. And I, this is—I'm probably speaking out of revelation for myself. I, I believe we have a high value for the Word. We have a high value for good theology. We don't, you know, we don't throw throw out good teaching and, and good theology. I, I love theology. I love good teaching, and I love that. But if it doesn't lead to transformation and a move of His Spirit of inhabitation of His presence, not just in a building but in our homes and in our region, then I feel like something is missing, something's wrong, and, and it's not on his end. It's not on God, and not in a negative way, but it's just like, what do we have to repent of or readjust in our thinking for the move of God to happen or, or get right? And if you study revival history and you study moves of God and things like that, there's one common factor that I can tell, or probably two, that I can tell that generally always happens. One is prayer. That's, that's the number one that always happens is either a man, or a woman, or a company of people gave themselves to praying with God without an agenda. They just sought his face. They said, God, we want you and nothing else. And I feel like a little bit, in, in, if I can say this, a little bit in the church, we, we want God to adjust to our thinking as opposed to we adjust to his and, um, and so and the second thing is that I see in those moves of God in history is a contending and a contending for a, a period of time. And I, t- I tell you why I think that is. And this is just my own personal thing that I think is I believe if when we contend for something for a period of time and we get it, we hold on to it and treasure it as the pearl of great price. Because we've contended and fought for it, and I don't—I do believe God doesn't—I do believe He was, He withholds His glory and His, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I do believe He withholds His glory from people, not to shame them or not to punish them. But because in his mercy and his kindness, he says, if I was to pour out my spirit right now in the measure that I want to on that person or that community or that individual, in this moment it would cause more damage than good because they don't know what to do with my power or my glory. The church for a long time, we know what to do with, I think we do okay with disappointment generally. We generally do okay with disappointment. We don't know what to do with, with power and success. We don't know how to handle it. Yeah. We see that with Moses, power, lightning. Oh, that's scary. Just send the one guy, off you go. <laughs> right? But Jesus didn't want one guy, he wanted a company of a priesthood of all believers. He wanted the remnant of God to grow. That's why in the Old Testament, the remnant shrunk. You know, there was one left, Noah, Abraham, Moses. It was usually just the one individuals. In the New Testament, it started with one guy called Jesus, and it grew exponentially. It's an increase of his kingdom. So I believe, and I believe that there is a place where we start to contend for his spirit, and we make room in a softness of his heart. and We learn to know his ways. We boldly approach the throne room of God as not just Liam, but as a group of people that we do that corporately, that we do that in our glory homes, which, by the way, we're um, on the 24th of February, we're having a six-week training and equipping that. Anyone that's new here, and we, our glory homes, will, they're cranking up soon. So if you want to start one or you want to be involved in that, then I'd encourage you to come along to that um, six-week training and uh, just give you a foundational idea of who we are and that kind of thing. Um, but I believe, what's the proverb It says? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. proverb 25, I think, 25 too? Yeah. He's interested in relationship. I don't, <laughs> hear me, this is my point, this is, all, this is all this for this main point. I've got kids. I'm not going to leave my home and put Charlie, who's seven, in charge of my other two kids. Why? Because she doesn't have the maturity to hold and um, navigate that circumstance. It's too much authority. But she's still my kid. Right? Doesn't change that she's my kid. So it's not, a, it's not an identity thing. Right? It's a maturity thing. And I just want to I want to provoke us to it's it's time for us as a church to mature into the into this, into the priesthood of all believers. Where we're like, hey, we're growing up and we're growing into maturity so that the environment, the setting can be can be ready for God to go, hey, there's a bunch of people I can entrust my greatest possession with. I can leave them with me. I can leave them with my presence and they're not going to abuse it, they're not going to um, quench it, they're not going to destroy it and they're not going to prostitute it. They're going to actually host me well. And I tell you what, it can't be just one person. One slays 1,000, two slay 10, what a 50 do? Let's read this last verse, Romans 8, and then we'll close. Um, Does that make sense? I I just, I don't mean that in there's like, if someone's in here thinking, oh, is that me? Am I like, do I need to grow up? It's like we're all on it. Like, I'm growing. Like, we're maturing. Like, it's not a condemning thing. It's an invitation for, hey, uh, God's so relational that he doesn't just willy-nilly give you know, I, I'm not saying you're not saved, I'm not saying you're not born again, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but he's so interested in relationship beyond just our good theology. I mean, the disciples, they didn't even think he was the saviour of the world, they were healing the sick and raising the dead, and, and Judas was in that. Yeah. I mean, that, that blows my mind. That shows me how much God is interested in a relationship. That's mind-blowing. And Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He wants intimacy, but he didn't have that relationship. He didn't have that depth there. Yeah. And I just don't want a... Uh, I want everyone in this room to know God. Not just know about him, but just like, oh, I know God. I know God. I've seen him i'm face to face with him yeah it's good romans 8 verse 15 for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry up a father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and follow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, for the creation was subjected to I will stop there. Verse twenty two for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons the redemption of our bodies. Hmm. Verse thirty uh, verse twenty six likewise, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god all right we need to be led by his spirit full stop we need to be led collectively as a community by his spirit. Uh, and that means that we learn how to do this and do this well, and we go on a journey. That's where we, we learn how to hear his voice as a community, where it's, it's, it's not participation time. It's not, it's not, just, it's, sorry, it's not just observation time. It's that we all come together. We lift our voices, we cry out to the Lord, we seek his face together. Because I believe the invitation for the banquet is there. Mm-hmm. Can I get could I get you on the keys, Ben, or at least you up as well if you want to? It's quarter past eleven. I wanna just I wanna honour the time this morning. But I, I want to, I want us just to seek His face, to pray in the Spirit, to let the Spirit of God actually move, to to provide. Why don't you stand? Just stand with me. I feel like where Timothy, you know, Paul prays is, you know. I'm going to lay hands on you to stir up the gift that's already within you. God's slow to anger, kind in in mercy, quick to forgive. And and I'll be honest, I'll be really honest, this year, 2020, or maybe sort of more towards 2019, middle of 2020, probably the later half of 2020, there's been something sparked in my spirit that's like, I'm, 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 my, all my chips are in God I'll be honest 2019, 2020, a little bit uh, just due to some stuff that had happened to Shen and I I was coasting I was just coasting I was relying on my, my natural gift uh, You know, I was just coasting I was relying on just you know me, Liam and who I am or whatever but I was like, I'm actually not interested in that I'm interested in his presence I'm interested in God. And and I just had to repent before the Lord. I had to come face to face with God and say, God, I don't want to just rely on my natural gifting or something that's just I can naturally do. I want your presence. I want you. I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to have my bets hedged in, with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. I want to have both my feet crossing over the river Jordan into the promised land. I want to have the presence of God on my shoulders. That he he he's there. He's I know he's there, I know he's in us, but I'm like he's I'm I'm looking at him face to face and I've been led by his spirit. And it started to stir something in me where I was like man we've we've just we're coast we've coasted as a as a church in Australia we've coasted with We've been afraid to go up on the mountain and see God face to face and we're happy just to push the, the paid ones. <laughs> we're happy to push those out. You go, you go do that. You go do that. It's like, actually, no, God's inviting all of us. It doesn't look like a microphone. No, we know that. It doesn't look like this. Please, you don't want this. <laughs> and, but I'm going to provoke you to say, hey, there's an invitation. I over at the Knowles the other day in Jackson, it's all just about Jesus, isn't it? We just need Jesus. We just need to fall in love with Jesus. And I'm like, yes, that's what it is. We need to fall in love with Jesus. As sons." Romans 8, we've been adopted in crying, Abba, Father. And I'm telling you, church, if we don't believe that we've been cleansed back to Adam, we think there's something wrong with us. We won't approach the throne boldly we won't carry his presence because we'll actually think that there's something inherently wrong with us as opposed to actually i've been bought with a great price i've been bought i've been the i'm the pearl of great price i'm the one that sold every jesus is the one that sold everything and he bought me he sold everything he, he he just gave it all away. He gave up of what other king leaves his throne. I love that Jeremy Riddle song. What other king leaves his throne to purchase you and I back, not so we can be acquainted with his acts, but so we can be acquainted with him, the person of God. The person of God. So I had to repent. I repented of it six seven months ago and there's been this fire in my belly it doesn't mean I feel God all the time or sense him but I just there's something about it that I'm just like I'm not want to go another day without your presence walking into my marriage walking into my home walking into my kids lives walking into my this church for glory city and I feel like the invitation of the banquet is there Catherine, when we started this church, Catherine Ruinala is the senior leader of Glory City. She said, Liam, you can have as much of God or as little of God as you want. So that's how kind he is. You can have as much of God or as little as God as you want. But she said, if you want to be a Glory City church, I would encourage you to be the one that says, I want all of God. <laughs> she said, because I'm, and she said, she said, Liam... I'm not interested in creating big churches, but I am interested in creating mature sons and daughters of God. Alright, let's just go after him. I don't know any other way than just to see his face with no agenda. Because when we do that, his agenda becomes our agenda, and our agenda becomes him. John seventeen three. This is eternal life that we would know God. If you need to repent, you need to do business before God. If you want prayer, we're gonna. I'll be up the front, and maybe Lisa and Angel, whoever will pray for you. And if you're that, if you need prayer, then don't come up the front. <laughs> but I just feel there's an invitation for the Spirit of God to be stirred up in people this morning by the laying on of hands. But if you need to do business with your father as well, I just feel that. But I, I I just want us for a few minutes just to cry out. Not out of a place of he's distant, not out of a desperation in the wrong sense, but out of a desperation of I just want more of you, God. I want to know you more. I need to know you more. So let's 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 go for it, guys.